the Blood Covenant. By Rod Anderson. Lesson 7. Father, we thank you again for your word. We just thank you that the entrance of your word brings life and brings light. And so we're trusting you to help us better understand this covenant and better understand again the length and the height and the depth and the breadth of your love. So we trust you, Father, and we trust again your spirit to guide us into more and more truth about this everlasting, never failing devotion, this desire of yours to show yourself strong to your people because of this covenant that you've made. So we trust you to help us with this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Psalm 89, particularly if you have the Amplified Bible, okay? And here it's going to talk about David a bit, to say the least. This is a, a poem that was written by Ethan the Ezraite. But, and I don't want to confuse you because, again, there are many covenants in the Bible. If you have the entire curriculum, you'll see that I had several of them listed, the Noahic covenant, the Canaan covenant. There's different covenants. But I don't want to confuse you, but they all have their root in this. In other words, they're all like tributaries of the Abrahamic covenant. It's the easiest way to say it. And that can even be argued to a degree. However, it's okay to say that every covenant, every covenant in Scripture is really a tributary, as it were, uh, a, a spider. I hate to use that phrase, but you see what I'm trying to say. It's connected in some way, shape, or form to this original agreement that God made with Abraham, okay? Uh, David as being the strongest, the, the, mercy, the covenant he cut with David was part of the covenant part of the statement, part of his proof that the covenant of Abraham was still going. And uh, it's wonderful. It's, it's called the sure mercies of David. Uh, the sure mercies of David. He said, uh, I'm going to show unto you the sure mercies of David. But in Psalm 89, I want you to see, it's, it's some good words here. Find verse 20, Psalm 89, verse 20. It says, I have found David my servant. With my holy oil have I anointed him, with whom my hand shall be established and ever abide. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not exact from him or do him violence or outwit him, nor shall the wicked afflict and humble him. I will beat down his foes before his face and I will smite those who hate him. Now see verse 24. Don't know what it says in the King James NIV. It says here, my faithfulness and my mercy and my loving kindness shall be with him. Now that's Hasid. All of that is Hasid. Every single time you, when you read the Psalms, in other words, for the rest of your life, anytime you see loving kindness, faithfulness, truth, and mercy, I want you to start thinking, this is the Hasid of God. This is the covenantal relationship. That's speaking about covenant. Every single time you see the word loving kindness, faithfulness, truth, mercy, these things, it's always reflective of a covenant. It's covenant language to the oriental mind. It's covenant language to any good theologian that understands this stuff whatsoever. So now watch what he says. In other words, he's saying because of this covenant, he said, my faithfulness and my mercy and my loving kindness shall be with him and in my name shall his horn be exalted. Great power and prosperity shall be conferred upon him. Verse 25 
I will set his hand and control also on the Mediterranean Sea and his right hand on the river, on the rivers Euphrates with its tributaries. He shall cry to me. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God and the rock of my salvation. Also, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My mercy and my loving kindness will I keep for him forevermore and my covenant shall stand fast and be faithful with him. His offspring also will I make to endure forever and his throne as the days of heaven. In other words, totally, it's going to be unending. If his children, now, now, what, now this is one of the parts I want you to see here because of the, the unqualified committal of God even when God's people make mistakes. I want you to see that this is Old Testament, much less New Testament. Now we've already in other courses, remember, talked about Hebrews 8 where I've shared over and over again that he said this new covenant will not be like the old covenant in that he said in the old covenant when I, when my people, he said, when I stretched out my hand to help my people, Remember, when I stretched out my hand to help my people, the last five verses of Hebrews 8, when I stretched out my hand to help my people Israel and they did not abide in my agreement, I withdrew my favor and I disregarded them, says the Lord. But he said, this new one's not going to be like the old one. In the old one, when God's people stepped out from underneath the covenant, God, by virtue of the covenant, in many cases had to stand aloof from them. But even in the old covenant, see, this is where I don't want you to get confused because of what we're going to read right here. God never let go of them, even in the old covenant. But by virtue of what he had to do, he had to separate himself from his own people, though it broke his heart. It says in verse 30, if his children, he's still talking about like David's children that are in this covenant with him. If his children forsake my law and walk not in my ordinances, if they break or profane my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I punish their transgression with the rod of chastisement and their iniquity with stripes. But don't, see, don't center on that. Look at the next verse. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not break off from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail, to lie or be false to him. Verse 34, my covenant will I not break or profane, nor will I alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Now, at one day, you're going to say hallelujah to that. Once for all, say for all. Verse 35, once for all have I sworn by my holiness, which cannot be violated. I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever and his throne shall continue as the sun before me. Now in the Amplified, it'll give two references there, Isaiah 9, 7 and Galatians 3, 16. And in particular, Galatians, which we'll get to again in a moment, speaks flat out directly to the heirs of Abraham, to the Abrahamic covenant of which we're a part of. And I want you to see that this is reference to that because I want you to see he's saying this. God is saying this to you and I today. Now, remember in Hebrews 13, we won't even get to that, but Hebrews 13, and well, you know what? I'm just going to read it now. <laughs> you, all, you know it already, but I love it in the Amplified Bible. The Amplified Bible in Hebrews 13, 8, um, I'm sorry, not Hebrews 13, 8. That's Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
I'm talking about the verse says, I will not leave you nor forsake you. Which one is that? How can I forget what that's at? Pardon? Hebrews 12, 5 or 13, 5? No, 13, 5. That's right. Hebrews 13, 5. Now, start, if you will, I mean, uh, well, I'm, I'll read the whole verse, but it starts. Okay, let me read the whole verse. But in particular, really, really, really listen to this in the Amplified Bible. It says, let your character or your moral disposition be free from love of money, including greed, avarice, lust, and craving for earthly possessions, and be satisfied with your present circumstances and with what you have. But now listen to, last, listen to this. For he, God himself, has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. Now, right now, in the Amplified Bible, it refers to Weist word studies at the bottom. If you have an Amplified at the bottom, it should have a little M there, and it'll point to Weist word studies. It's one of the best word study volumes you can have. And it says, it's because this is called a triple imperative in the Greek. But it says this, for he, God himself, has said, I will not in any way fail you nor give you up nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless nor forsake nor let you down nor relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. Hallelujah. I mean, it's, you have to see how emphatic that is. I mean, you can't put any more emphasis in a scripture in English than these guys are trying to do in the Amplified Bible because the Greek is just, it screams. This thing, it's, I will not, it's not, God's just not saying, I won't leave you. He's saying, I won't leave you. I won't leave you. I won't leave you. Today I was doing a study on something about how many times, well, the threes in the Bible. I, I don't want to even go there. But I mean, you know, there's something incredibly holy about threes, everything God does in threes. But somehow you see what I'm trusting, what I'm asking God to do in this short amount of time that we have together, like I said, over these hours, is to just, like I said, light diffuse that will hopefully cause you to study further for yourself. But what I'm, my prayer is, again, that something will happen where you will begin to dare to believe how passionate God is in his desire for you and how his covenant is everlasting with you, even when you are idiotic, <laughs> his covenant with you never, ever, ever is pulled away from you because he has sworn. We're going to look at those scriptures in a moment. But I'm going to read that again just because it feels so good. For God himself has said, I will not in any way. Now, I mean, that scripture's meant a lot to me in my life. I will not in any way fail you nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down, nor relax my hold on you. I mean, see, let that paint a picture of somebody with the strongest grip you could ever imagine having his arm around your bicep, his hand in your arm, holding on to you, saying, I am never going to relax my hold on you. That should cause you to feel better. Oh, well. 
to know that God's this intent, he said, I, you know, you can be as stupid as this is what I mean. You, why I teach all those other courses first, because I'm trusting again that you've, you'll remember some of that because otherwise, see, this stuff can sound really, really funky to the religious head. I'm trusting that none of you are religious because people, again, look for reasons to be punished and people look for reasons. Human nature says they look for reasons to be abandoned. They look and they feel, because we all know that we in this life have, we're dirty people. What I mean is we still have desperately wicked hearts. We make mistakes daily. We do things we ought not do. We think things we ought not think. We envision things we ought not envision. We're in this world and this world is a filthy, foul place. And you can't stop everything from coming across your head or your soul or your life. It's just there in this world. It's like kids who go outside, they come in, they didn't mean to, but they get dirty. You just get dirty when you run around dusty places. But God's trying to say, just like a parent would say, I don't care how dirty you get, you're my son. You're my daughter. When you walk in this house, you are still my daughter. You're still my son. This is the thing that you see, we, the simplest of verses, I don't think have struck most of Christians' hearts because we got so many legalistic preachers, like I said, trying to tell you how God's going to abandon you. They may not say that, but that's what the, that's what you hear, you know, that because you've sinned and you messed up and what have you. And yes, we have to deal with sin like we taught when we taught on grace. And yes, we have to deal with that. But, uh, but again, like I said, you, you, you don't preach sin because all you create is sin consciousness and awareness of sin is not what sets you free from sin. It's the love of God, Romans 2, 4. It's the goodness of God. Paul said, are you ignorantly unaware of the fact that it is the goodness of God that is intended to draw your hearts and your minds to change? In other words, he said, ideally what this is all about is if you ever see how good I am, how beautiful I am, you'll be attracted to something far more excellent than anything that sin has to offer. I mean, in a nutshell, that's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is so beautiful to behold. What he's done is so awesome. What his goodness towards us is beyond imagination. Uh, like I said, the only word sometimes I use is obscene because you think it's wrong to you, but he, 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 his, his grace towards us is just, it's just amazing. All right, well, back in Psalm 89 again, real quick. It said, he said here, he said, my, verse 34, my covenant will I not break or profane, nor will I alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once for all have I sworn by my holiness, which cannot be violated, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever, and his throne shall continue as the sun before me, verse 37, it shall be established forever as the moon, the faithful witness in the heavens, Selah, which means pause and calmly think of that. All right. Now let's go to the outline, like I said, to this page here on where it says lesson five. And what I'll just do, like I said, because of time, I want to you know, try to cover as much as I can. So John 3, 16, I just put at the top, God has entered into covenant with the human race. And even the most familiar of all verses, John 3, 16, is a covenant statement for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I'm not going to read the rest of that because there's some other things that we'll speak to that in a moment. But next, the next verse is this passage in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 through 20. I have it on the outline on the NIV. I'll just read it from that. 
when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. Verse 18, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope. See, this whole hope, this that God's entered into covenant with us, that he's sworn by his own self. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. In other words, this is what's, if you'll catch it, He's saying this is what will cause your mind to remain stable and fixed. It will anchor you. The revelation of the covenant and what God has done in Christ will anchor you. We have the, and again, I don't see, I, I search for words all the time. It's like I said, even uh, the only illustration I can give is like, I'm, I'm blessed with a good marriage, okay? I mean, my, I love my wife and my wife loves me. I'm blessed. And I, and, uh, like I said in other courses, it's, there's something between us. Today's our anniversary, for that matter. No, stop it, stop it, stop it. But what I mean is, you know, she, I, I have, this is the greatest, this is one of the greatest blessings that a man can have in a, in a wife. I have the absolute knowledge of my wife's absolute faithfulness, loyalty, and devotion towards me. What I mean is for the years, for the you know, 20 some years we've been together, Julie has never, ever, once, ever done anything to make me think for a microsecond that there's any other man on this earth that could ever mean anything to her, ever. I mean, I can't tell you how strongly I mean that and what that does for a soul, what that does, because, you know, men are motivated by the ego and what have you. And Julie, hopefully, and well, she'll say the same thing. She knows that she knows such. And I don't know how to put this in saying con there's to know. You see, in the world, we're, we're scared. We're fearful because love's let us down over and over and over and over, and over, and over, and over again. So when we begin to try to communicate somebody that doesn't even have the idea of unfaithfulness, abandonment in his vocabulary and his nature and his being, it's difficult because we 
have been trained by this world to expect rejection in some way, form, or shape. But this is what I mean. See, we, we just read these verses, I will not, I will not, I will not, and it's fun to read, but it doesn't seem to register. At least when it, all I know is this, when it does register, you begin to live differently. You don't live fearfully. When you mess up, you don't run from God. You run to Him because you know He's right there and He's not waiting for you with a cricket bat. He's waiting for you with open arms because you're His son or you're His daughter. And again, remember, like I say, I'm trying to give the simplest of illustrations. My son, Jamie, my daughter, Anna, at times they've driven me flat nuts and they've disobeyed me. They've, they've, you know, at times, you know, they were rebellious. Jamie had a real rebellious stage for a while. Anna did too. But I got to tell you something. Just because they disobeyed me, remember this, these two words. We taught this in righteousness. There's a vast difference between fellowship and relationship. When my son or my daughter would disobey me, it would, it would mess up a bit of our fellowship if it was continuous. But it didn't do anything to the relationship in that I am their father. You understand that? I'm always going to be their father. I mean, if they make the stupidest mistakes and stupidest decisions in the world, they are my son and daughter and forever will be my son. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? It's impossible for them not to be because we are one. They've got my blood in them. You know what I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. And now let me throw this up too before I go to because I'm taking so much time with this. Let me tell you something. When my kids were small, if I was to see one of you or anybody when my kids were four, five, six, or seven spanking one of my kids, you'd have a real problem with me. Do you understand? Because if there's any discipline to be done to my kids, I'll do it. Now, you got to hear where I'm going with that. You see, if I ask you to babysit and I tell you and I delegate some authority, that's one thing. But you hear what I'm saying? We're God's children. We really are the sons and daughters of God. And see, that's why there's, it's a travesty and a lie that people say that God uses the devil to teach us things by putting sickness and disease on us or tragedy to us or whatever. I mean, or God, you know, breaks your leg to teach you something. God got me in this car wreck so I'd slow down. And, you know, we, we say all those things, and I know what they're saying, but they don't know what they're saying. <laughs> and what's being communicated all across the church world is still this issue that God has this wrath in him and that God will hurt you. When it's all said and done, that's still being preached. He'll teach you by hurting you. He's going to hurt you. I mean, one way or the other, cause you to lose your job, do all. No, you hurt yourself. But what you've got to have nailed to a sure place is if you're born from above, and the Bible says God has put within you his spirit of adoption whereby your hearts are supposed to be crying out, Abba, Father. Now are you the sons and daughters of God, beloved. And you're not going to be taken out of that relationship by your stupidity. You'll be taken out of fellowship 
yourself. You'll damage fellowship, but relationship is secure. Yes. Yes. Uh, well, I, let me keep it on. You, you've got to really catch that. You've got to take your mind and understand that he said, Paul said, he is the father from whom all fatherhood takes his name. And again, it just, it just runs at us. And we, that's when it brings up some classic biblical questions that universities fight over, seminaries fight over throughout all history. But now let's, let's go on. It says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf. He's become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, turn to Galatians 3 again. I want you just to read this real quickly before we actually get to this next part because I've really, I've taken so much time on that that I really need to scoot now. I'm already, already behind what I was going to do, what I was hoping to do. Galatians 3, again, starting at verse 26. I'll start verse 25. It says, but now Paul's teaching the church of Galatia. Now listen, just, but now that the faith has come, now that the faith has come, now there was not under law, but now that the faith has come, we are no longer under a trainer or the guardian of our childhood. Verse 26, for in, everybody say in, in. for in Christ Jesus. Remember the whole first few days of teaching on covenant about what it means. These two men coming together, cut wrists, cut hands, putting that hand together, that blood's running between both of them. Two families are becoming one family. Two tribes are becoming one tribe. He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. One, 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 oneness. One, John 17, the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, even as you and I are one, so that they are one, that they might be one with us. That's all through the scripture talks about being one, being one, being one. Whether we feel it, look like it, smell like it, if you're born of God, the Bible says, if you're going to believe the Bible, that we've become one with the Lord Jesus Christ. Our lives are now hid in Christ, immersed. Actually, part of the word is, is baptizo over and over again. But for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Now, is that what it says? Do you believe it? Yeah. Well, just believe it anyhow. <laughs> In Christ, you are right now already the sons and daughters of God. Verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized, immersed into Christ, into him, into a spiritual union and a communion with Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, you, as many of you have been baptized into him, you have put on and clothed yourself with Christ. That's a heavy thing. I'm not even going to go near that right now because that word is, the, you know, the anointed one. You've clothed yourself with the anointed one. There is now no distinction. That's what he said. There, it's not a man. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or no free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is trying to communicate, guys, this is what has happened. You've entered into a covenant relationship with Almighty God. You're one with Him now. Now, I'm not, remember, I didn't write the Bible. Now, he goes on and he says in chapter 4, now what I mean is, 
uh, that as long as the inheritor or the heir, I'm sorry, I didn't read the last verse, verse 29. And if you belong to Christ and you are in him who is Abraham's seed, then you are Abraham. I mean, you got to understand, Paul is arguing something here and bringing up Abraham over and over again, if you read the whole book of Galatians, remember, because this is what he's trying to tell these New Testament believers, these New Covenant believers, and in particular here in Galatia, because remember, he's come in here and he's upset because of all these Judaizing teachers that have come in and tried to dilute the message of the gospel of what God's actually done in Christ. Again, if you belong to Christ and you are in him who is Abraham's seed, then you are right now Abraham's seed and you are Abraham's offspring and spiritual heirs. Every single one of you, he said, if you're in Christ, are heirs according to the promise. Now there again, one day you'll say hallelujah. 99% of Christians will never walk in that, but it's the truth whether you walk in it or not. You are an heir of all the Abrahamic promises. That's incredible. But again, all this, like I said, is covenant language. And again, jump down to chapter four, verse six. He said, and because you really are his sons, God has sent the Holy Spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Father. Verse seven, therefore you're no longer a slave or a bondservant, but a son. And if a son, then it follows that you are an heir by the aid of God through Christ. Now, you know, I can't make that decision for you, but I'm a son of God. And I'm an heir of God and I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And I'm one with him. Not because I feel like it, not even because I act like it all the time, but because of my faith and because I know that's what scripture says. Now jump down to Abrahamic covenant on the bottom of that page real quick. The covenant was made with Abraham after the confusion of tongues at Babel when God saw that it was impossible to deal with the whole race. It ushered in what is known as the age of promise. And then it says the covenant consisted of two parts, the sevenfold promise. Please read those on your own if you'll turn the page. And then it said it consisted of the sign of, the, of circumcision, the sign of the covenant. Every covenant had a token. Let me just make one quick comment about circumcision. People often ask, why on earth did God have them do that? Why a cut there? When you study all the old commentaries, it says, and, and for that matter, it'll say in Bosworth's, uh, in H. Uh, Clay Trumbull's book, I think it's on page, two page 219 of the book, but basically it says that God chose circumcision because it's the point of paternity. That's the phrase they use, because that's where life would issue from. And there was to be this constant reminder that all birth, all creation, all life came because of the covenant, because God's life was now flowing with them. But every, every covenant had a token of, of uh, that, like, you know, Noah, we could go to Noah's ark, remember, the, what was the sign for the covenant? What was the sign of the Noahic covenant? The rainbow. rainbow, yeah. To this day, to this day, <laughs> I mean, you know, I'll never destroy the earth by water again. I mean, it's a sure sign. I'll, anyhow, point three, God's covenant with Abraham. God changed Abram and Sarah's, Sarai's names to father of a multitude of nations and princess of a multitude of nations. Each change was with one Hebrew letter, which is part of what's called a tetragrammation of God's own unpronounceable name. When they transliterated, it was YWHW. 
And the idea being again, because the Jews thought it too holy, too impious to ever pronounce his name. That's why they always called him Adonai this or Adonai that. But Yahweh, and as it says, many theologians say that it appears Jehovah God wanted to add dignity to them. In other words, Abraham, Sarah to Sarah, that A-H or I-H, if you look at it in like a, a Greek or I mean a Hebrew dictionary, it speaks, it takes a letter, a part of God's name and attaches it to a man and a woman's name. And like it says here, many theologians say that it appears Jehovah God wanted to add dignity to them by putting part of his own name into their name. So God and man are becoming closer to becoming one. Hallelujah. Okay, now I got to see how quickly we can go here. I want you to turn now, it's not on the outline, but I want you to turn, I want you to see how strong this covenant is. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 18 about this Abrahamic covenant. Now, as we go, like I said, I, remember, I'm, like I said, I, I'm praying that you'll read the rest of the notes and go through all these scripture references on your own, if you would. But uh, th this, this is a, this is a classic, one of the first teachings, like when we teach on intercessory prayer, you know. This is always the passage that we use. But I, I want you to really, I mean, this is phenomenal to me. This is Old Testament, Old Covenant, but this is the strength. This is, this is an explanation or this is a picture of how God felt, how strongly God felt about his partnership with Abraham. Genesis 18. He said, I will be your God. I mean, all these scriptures in the outline up here, we don't have time. Genesis 12, 1 through 4, the original call. Genesis 14, Abram's rescue of his nephew Lot. Genesis 15, 1 and 2, God's declaration to Abram. 15, 2, Abraham's request for a child and what have you. And his promise in Genesis 17, again, that about all, he keeps building this truth about what he's going to do in this covenant. Years are going by now. But in Genesis 18, he just comes and he, 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 tells them that they're going to have a child. Remember, in fact, if we can start in verse 11, Genesis 18, verse 11, I'm going to start in the midst of that story so that we can get to the story I want to. It says, now Abraham, well, in verse 10, the Lord said, I will surely return to you. And he's speaking to Abraham when the season comes around and behold, Sarah, your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening and heard it at the tent door, which behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old. They were well advanced in years. It had ceased to be with Sarah as with young women. She was past the age of childbearing. Verse 12, Therefore Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I become aged, shall I have pleasure and delight with my Lord, my husband, being old also? And the Lord asked Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I really bear a child when I'm old? And then in verse 14, of course, God says it. He said, Is anything too hard or too wonderful for the Lord. I mean, listen, catch that, remember that, ask yourself that question. I mean, you know, this, I'm going to, I'm sorry, there's so many things I like to teach. You know, this covenant, let me tell you something. Now, don't get mad at me when I say what I'm about to say. Abraham was 100 years old, right? Is that right? And Sarah was in her 90s and it was past her age and God speaks to her. Sarah laughs and, and God speaks to him and said, you're going to have a kid. And here, Sarah here, she's in the tent hiding and she hears it and she starts laughing. And God says, is that right? You're going to laugh. Now, I mean, you have to understand that that's pretty supernatural for them to have a child, right? Just say right. It is. But I mean, you know, how strong was this covenant? I, do you know, do you remember after 
they get married and all this happens is when they're still traveling. And you know, there's two other occasions now when they travel into lands. Do you remember that Abraham is going to, in his shake in his boots and be concerned that other kings are going to want his wife because of how beautiful she is, remember? And actually, so he says that she's his sister and they actually take her, kings, armies, take this woman and take her into their harems and thank God, you know, nothing. they didn't do anything with her. Otherwise, all hell started to break loose or whatever and they got mad at Abram. Why have you deceived us? But you know, this is what, do you ever stop and think? This woman's in her 90s and she's so good looking, kings want her in their harem. I got to tell you something. I've never seen a 90-year-old woman yet that turns me on. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> you can get upset with me and think I'm being irreligious or what have you. But you know what? This covenant is doing something for people. <laughs> There's a quickening power to this. See, you, just, you don't even think about that. This woman is so gorgeous in her late 90s that kings want her in their harem. Now think about that. Really think about that. It says she was past the age of childbirth and stuff like this. Just incredible. Anyhow, I can see that was really upsetting for you. <laughs> Verse 14, is anything too hard or too wonderful for the Lord? At the appointed time when the season for her delivery comes around, I will return to you. Sarah will have borne a son. Verse 15, then Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. And the men rose up from there. Now here's where it shifts gears and moves into this wonderful teaching that we often do in intercessory prayer. It says, and the men rose from there. Remember, because this is where these three people, one of them being the angel of the Lord, the incarnate Lord Jesus had appeared to Abram. That's if we, you, if we would, would have started at verse one. It says, verse 16, the men rose up from there and faced toward Sodom and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. Now watch verse 17. Now again, if you've had teaching on it from prayer, fine, but just, just listen to it in context with this. He said here, it says here, this is what it says in the Amplified, even the King James. It said, and the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham? Now in the Amplified, it says, my friend. Now I think I shared a little bit with you. We're not going to go around and go talk a lot about the word friend, but the word friend in the Bible. Remember, there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And we talked in the very beginning about the fact that the Bible says, or how we have this statement in our English language about, there, you know, well, you know what they say, blood is thicker than water. Remember that? We say blood is thicker than water, and we think it means kin folk. We think it means, when we say that, that the blood that it's referring to are relatives, right? But nobody ever asks the question, what water? Because it has nothing to do with your relatives. That statement, remember, blood is thicker than water, means that people who are in covenant by blood have a closer relationship than those who've been born from the same mother's womb and shared the same water of the same mother's womb. The Arabs, remember, say blood is thicker than milk. That people in covenant, something comes between them that's so close, so tight, so, so bound that it makes them closer than had they been born from the same mother's womb. That's heavy. And that's what this is referring to. And so here God says about Abram, he calls him his friend. The word friend is a covenant word. There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I mean, when you sat at a table with somebody and had food, that was a covenant act. And you had to be, this is why 
when you read the ancient histories of these guys, you read these Trumbo things and what have you, people, if you were invited to eat at a table in one of these Bedouin's tents or what have you, it's a huge deal because it's not just you giving them food. It's entering into some form of a relationship that has long-reaching effects, often for seven generations. I mean, to this day, in some of the peoples over there, it's still like that. But now watch. Shall I hide? Now, the actual Hebrew there says, I will not hide. I will not hide from Abram, my friend, what I'm going to do. Now, now watch this now. He said about Sodom and Gomorrah. Now watch, verse 18. Since Abraham shall surely become a great and a mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed through him and shall bless themselves by him. For I have known and chosen and acknowledged him as my own, so that he may teach and command his children and the sons of his house after him to keep the way of the Lord and to do what is just and righteous, so that the Lord may bring Abraham what he's promised him. Now watch from verse 20 onward. And the Lord said, now he's talking to Abram, because the shriek of the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is exceedingly grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether as vilely and wickedly as is the cry of it which has come to me, and if not, I will know. Now the two men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. I wish I understood exactly what that meant. Was there a manifestation? Uh, was it just a sense of his presence? Was he in a vision? I don't know. But there's interesting words here because the next verse says, verse 23, and Abraham came close. I love the King James there because it says, Abraham drew near. And I, I, you got to understand, what's God just said? I'm going to go down and see about Sodom and Gomorrah because I'm going to have to destroy it. But what's the heart of Abram? There's so many things to teach here about why God chooses certain people because he looks what's in their heart. And here's when you begin to see the depth of the love and the desire, no matter how wicked the people are, there's this desire. What if there's good people there? What if there's good people there? It says, And Abraham drew near, came close, and said, Will you destroy? Now remember, who's Abraham talking to? Who's he talking to? Who is he talking to? Answer me. Talking to God. Talking to God Almighty. Now listen, Abraham came close and said, Will you destroy the righteous, those upright and right standing with God together with the wicked? Suppose there are in the city 50 righteous. Will you destroy the place and not spare it for the sake of 50 righteous in it? Verse 25, Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous fares do the wicked. In the Amplified, you'll see exclamation points because it's strong language. He said... Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth execute judgment and do righteously? Now, what's the Lord's response to this? The Lord said, if I find in the city of Sodom 50 righteous, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Watch. Verse 27, Abraham answered, Behold now I, who am but dust and ashes, have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. If, if now five of the 50 righteous should be lacking Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? God answers and says, if I find 45, I will not destroy it. Abraham spoke to him yet again and said, suppose only 40 shall be found there. And he said, I will not do it for 40's sake. Then Abraham said to him, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak again. Suppose only 30 shall be found there. And he answered, I will not do it if I find 
30. And Abraham said, Behold now, I have taken upon myself to speak again to the Lord. Suppose only 20 shall be found there. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it for 20's sake. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak again only this once. Suppose 10 righteous people shall be found there. The Lord said, I will not destroy it for 10's sake. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. Now, I read all that because I want you to catch. Do you see what's happening? I mean, really, that a man is in covenant with God to such a degree, just like when Moses talked about another, even through the law, which is underneath, part, underneath the covenant, wasn't the covenant, but underneath it. Remember when Moses got in the face of God and said, God, don't you destroy these people before you destroy these people, blot me out of the book of life. Don't you remember the Lord, your good, your mercy endures forever, your loving kindness and your tender mercies endure forever. You see, when you read those, you realize Moses was putting God back in remembrance of the covenant, declaring his Hasid. You said you'd be Hasid. You're in covenant. You've got to catch this. Shall I hide from Abraham? or I will not hide. Amos 3, 7 is where it says, God will do nothing without first revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. John 15, 15 is where Jesus speaks in the New Testament about how God will always show his children what he's going to do. You've got to capture this. You've got to capture this. God announces beforehand often what he's going to do. Listen, are you listening? Because he's looking for somebody that won't go, oh, my God, God's told me he's going to judge the whole city. The whole place is going to blow up. Everybody leave. <laughs> he's looking for somebody that says, okay, they deserve it. I see it. But God, you and I are in covenant. And I'm asking in Jesus' name for you to make a difference here. I'm asking for you to break up in pieces these gates of brass and, and save this place for 40's sake. For, but all the, the point is, why does this repetition, why did the Spirit of God think it was right to have this recorded for all history? Do you got to see what's going on here? God is showing his desire to listen to his man, his covenant man on earth. And God is doing what Abram is asking. Do you actually hear that? Even again, if I had time to go to Moses in Exodus, God says categorically to Moses when Moses said, Lord, don't do this. Remember what Lord answers him back? He said, he, it says, I will pardon. God speaking to Moses and says, I will pardon according to your word. To your word. I mean, to your word. I mean, God's, you see, we think when God's judgments are coming that they're just coming. But God's waiting for somebody to stand in the gap, jump up, who knows their covenant, and say, okay, it's coming. It should come. They deserve it. Absolutely. This whole area, I walk in, you know, walking up here tonight again, Soho, walking past sex shops and stuff like that. They deserve judgment. They deserve it. They deserve it. They deserve it. But so did I. But God, you're merciful. Show yourself merciful. But see, most of the church just chimes in and they curse them. You hear me? Curse those people. We curse that place. We curse this. We curse that. And like I had to learn from Ed Savosa. No, the way you, they're already cursed. If you want them helped, you break a curse by blessing. So you start loosing blessings upon them. Lord, bless them. Lord, bless them and break the power of the thing. But this is the strength of the covenant then. 
that they had. God said, shall I hide? I will not hide from Abram. And if we ever have an alertness of here, God is showing people today what he's about to do. Hallelujah. But most people are interpreting it and writing it and making newsletters about it and talking about all the judgment that's coming instead of getting on their face and crying out to God and saying, God, there's righteous people there. There's righteous people there. Don't do it. 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 And holding this thing back until as many as can be saved will be saved. I mean, there's, I'm nowhere able to touch the depth of this thing. But just begin to see this. God's in covenant with a man. And we are partakers. We're heirs. We read in Galatians, as many of you that are in Christ are heirs of God and you're heirs according to the promise given to Abraham. You're in not only the blessings, the curses of the covenant have been taken away, but the, you're in the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant. Plus, now you're in Christ, which is even a better covenant based upon better promises. This is why the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man will avail much. And the word right means what? What's righteous mean again? Right standing with God. Well, we have right standing with God by virtue of one blood, Jesus Christ. We're in covenant with God. Anyhow, we got to stop. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for the truth. Thank you for the power of this covenant. And thank you that we can begin to let this roar around in our spirit until we begin to cry out in prayer. Father, I got a covenant with you. And I'm, I'm coming to you, Father, in behalf of the covenant. And I'm coming, into, into you, coming to you through the covenant. And I'm coming in the name of the Lamb, the blood, the sacrifice of the covenant, even the name of the high, holy child, Jesus. I just pray that you help us catch these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You have reached the end of this lesson. Please insert the next lesson to continue.